Yeah, so I'm not a karaoke guy, but I figured if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. So I just lunge off the stage, I lay on the floor, and I start singing Start Me Up, and within like a minute, some guy just hits me with a defibrillator. He thought I was having a heart attack. Well, you probably wanted to like stay true to like you know the Keith Richards vibe, where that could happen at any moment, you well, know what I mean? I guess, or I guess just the big man like me rolling around on the ground. Well, I'd pay money to see that, good money to see that. Oh, hey, wait, oh, wait, wait a minute, we're rolling. All right, well, let's roll. I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are Two, two guys, guys on Block Island. All right, listeners, um, before we get going and introduce our guest, I would just want to uh, uh, make a quick technical note. You may hear a bit of background noise. It is a particularly swampy day here on Block Island. So uh, normally we, we have the windows open, but uh, today you, you, what you might hear is the air conditioner in the background because it's just too damn hot. Yeah. So anyway, uh, apologies for that, for our less than professional uh, audio quality. Possibly. Anyway, whatever. Um, OK, today on our podcast, we have a guest that uh, I have known for over 20 years. Um, he is not a resident of Block Island. Normally, we like to tell stories about, you know, Block Island and all that. We'll, we will do some of that. But he's one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life. And uh, he he's a great conversationalist, a great guy, and he's also my new boss. And we're talking about Maurice Raymond, Raymond who is the uh, lead singer, a.k.a. Mick Jagger, in the world's most dangerous tribute to the Rolling Stones, The Blushing Brides. Maurice, how are you? Uh, one question. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it starts Anything. with a question. Foul language acceptable. Oh, shit, yeah, man. Yeah. Say whatever the yeah. fuck you want. Cock, poo-poo. <laughs> touching titties that is test is that good oh you hear me yeah, that's, yeah. Okay, okay so, so <laughs> should i go with the english accent or southern how yeah, y'all know you know we tried to switch like it up that. or switch should i do up. the canadian right on eh? good to see you Zay. Eh? what I, a great island it is i think you should sticky. float in between all of them throughout oh, the course of the interview yeah you can uh, just oh. switch it up every 15 minutes don't you know yeah don't you know <laughs> right that's on. wisconsin oh that's beauty minnesota yeah minnesota oh yeah oh heck yeah oh heck yeah um maurice uh, I'm your boss? Well, apparently. <laughs> wow. You're I, doing a hell of a job, by the way, and I don't care what anyone else says. Thank you. I know the other guys in the band are probably like, why'd you let this little shit in the band? Absolutely not. In <laughs> fact, they're all going, shite, I got to up my game oh, a wee bit now. It. We've got the keyboard player. They're always talking about, you know, the black keys. <laughs> yeah. What was going on? Did you do the minor fill to the seventh with the, you know, modulation and all that? And I just like, I'm going, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> well, listen, it's an honor to be in the band, man. Really. Thank you so much for including me. And uh, I've been watching you guys here. What was, do you remember the first year that you guys played at Captain Nick's? What year it was? It must have been 98 or 99, right? I think it was 98. Yeah. Um, there was a, an agent, uh, Bob somebody. Belial. Bob Belial. Bob Belial, who is, uh, God rest his soul. Yes. Or if you believed in God, God rest his soul. If not, he's back to the universe. He's he's back to the universe. Yep. And he, um, he booked us here. I got to tell you, the first time he told us about Block Island, I went, I'm sorry, what? Um, he said, yeah, I got a great gig for you. It's on Block <laughs> Island. And I went, uh, do they pay money? Or did he say in Block Island? A lot of, in lot of in guys Block that. Island. It's in yeah. Block Island. It's in Block Island. <laughs> so we showed up and then he said, you got to take the ferry. And we went, oh, Jesus, where's this leading us? But I think we had <laughs> kind of, yeah, we had like a Stephen Wright moment that once we got on the ferry and we came over, 
Um, this was just the oddest, most lovely, most kooky throwback. It looked like, um, you know, New England in the 1950s. Yeah. Trapped, you know, it was like its own little, like in a little Jurassic globe New England. Or something. Yeah. So that gig was your beginning of Block Island. The first one. And it was quite interesting insofar that it was really muggy. I remember that. And they put us in these rooms with shared bathrooms. Oh, at the high view at the time. At the high view, right. way down there. And there were these little beds that had plastic sheet coverings over the underneath the sheets, which were really weird because well, you, you sweated profusely yeah. through the night. Well, they put those on special for you guys. <laughs> right. They, well, those aren't normally there. Yeah, musicians pee the bed a lot, you know. It's yeah, not all do. of them. No. I know no. the keyboard players Well, I do. do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Keyboards and front men. Yes. They're so full of themselves. They should hand out the pens at the beginning of the gig. Again, it goes to the modulation. Modulation. Yeah. That was the trip. It was a pisser. I can. Yeah. So you come over and you stay at the High View. And we then- stayed at the High View, and it was just a delight. Um, and then um, we met. I think the owner was uh, Mike, Mike Finnamore. Yes, Mike Finnamore, yeah. who is um, probably one of the most interesting characters that I've ever met in my life. Completely. Um, you know, apparently. Uh, he owns everything, and um, but he wants to just stand out there and rent bicycles and scooters. Um, well, you know they say never leave your foundation. You know, without a doubt, you know, he is. He is. Uh, he, that foundation is yeah. like you know that's Camelot. He's built that. You know, there's castle walls, and he's been there forever. Yes. Like, and I just look and go, I know where Mike is. Yeah. Now he he owns the High View now, but when you stayed there, it was still an inn. It was an inn, yes, but a lot of it was uh, people who worked on the island oh, okay. as well. Oh, okay, so it had already I think, kind I, you of know, transformed. There, there's this other dynamic that you have on Block Island where you have a lot of people coming either from Eastern Europe or, you know, um, the Caribbean that work here yeah. and things like that. Or Pawtucket. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I don't want to make it sound too glamorous. It kind of is a little <laughs> Eastern European. But we, we would all, uh, uh, every year as we came back, we would all ponder what the next... Uh, you know, were they from the Ukraine? Were they from Russia? We would, you know, we would even right, play bets right. to say, what do you think? Hey, Romania? You know, so uh, that was always an interesting, but it, uh, that high view had all those people, the shared bathrooms. And I could not believe after doing, because when I started to come here, I was, I'd been, you know, a touring musician for 20 plus years already. I could not believe that I went, oh, this is fun. <laughs> right. I like this. Shared bathrooms, plastic on the bed. Yeah. I did that in 1978. Right. Uh, I don't think I want to do that again, but there's something about this place that just the crowd too, the captive audience kind of aspect to it where people can kind of look around and go, I can do anything here, can't I? Yes, and sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. Very much so. So that aspect was great. Um and as things went on, we just kept playing and playing and playing until last the, year. The right. C word. That was the only summer you've right. missed since 1998. Yeah. But, but we'll get to that. But Do you, do you ever come out, uh, do you extend your visit beyond your performance dates? Or do you ever come just on vacation now? Or do you still just come out when you perform? The first 12 years were just the weekend. Right. And we would play the two nights and leave. And then I had a gal pal partner uh, who suggested that, why don't you see if we could extend that? And you and I discussed it. That's right. And saying, why don't we do back-to-back weekends? 
see if that works. Now, we weren't sure that was going to work. Right. We said, let's get, you know, throw it against the wall, see if oh, it sticks. Oh, it works. It worked. Yeah, it oh, works. Yeah. It worked yeah. really well. Yeah. So because of that, uh, I've been staying here for the last eight or nine years. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah, how. it's something like that. Something like that. Um, during the week. So I've really become acclimatized oh, to the whole so Block Island feel. So you come out, you do your Friday, Saturday night gig, then you get a little five days to enjoy and just yes. be, a, be a guest yes. on the island? Well, basically, I give all my money back to Block Island exactly. because yeah. to stay here is fucking expensive, it's, you bastards. It's like winning at the casino and you get comped. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah. Know they, they want you for one more yeah. day to lose it back. Yeah, yeah. That's right. They keep, yeah, well, yeah, you know yeah. what they say. If they if you get them at the table long enough, they're going to give it back. Right. Yeah. Well, that's Block yeah. Island, man. The house always wins. House always wins. You know. Yeah. But and, so so yeah. what are you uh, what, what now that you're out here and you're you know, you're doing your week vacation, what do you like to do? What what tell us like what's your, you know, average week or your your typical Block Island week not like these days? Oh, man. Um I got to tell you, I'm the biggest fuddy-duddy straight I am nothing like my character on stage, you know, that I, you know, I'm like Mick Jagger meets Peter Wolf meets uh, James Brown meets George Carlin. Or I was once described by a group of Rolling Stones fanatic fans, the Shadoobies. They okay. actually come here sometimes. Yeah. One person was trying to describe the front man of the band that they were all watching at their Shadoobie get together. And he said... They are like, he's like a Chippendale dancer, Mick Jagger, and George Carlin all wrapped into one. I would agree with that. Which is That's kind a fair of, summation. It's kind of weird. Um, so, but not horrible. Maybe you it. should do a performance with just the Chippendale outfit on. You know, you know I was thinking that, about yeah. doing the whole thing the with, you know, tie. like the, uh, what's his name from the SNL thing, you know, and do the whole dance with the little lead. Chris Farley. <laughs> Chris Farley and, and, and Patrick, Patrick Swayze. Swayze. Just, yeah. Please don't make the rest of the band wear yeah, that. Oh, oh, somebody is uh, wearing the tights. I, I'd, I'd Paul. It's going to be Paul. It's got to well, be Paul. No, Paul's too good looking when That's someone true. looks worse than You got me. like the God. tearaway pants and right, you know, yes. in between songs. Yeah. All right, ready for some fun? Off come the pants. So to answer your question, what do I do? Um, I get up, I stretch, do a little bit of yoga, and then I go to the beach. Yeah. What beach do you like? We just go to Crescent Beach. We just go ha out halfway down from the pavilion. Yeah. Um, we sort of set our little, uh, you know, uh, turf. Yep. Set it Your up. Camp. Yeah. Yeah. The beach it, camp. It, now it's always me and my girl. So, you know, we're a small little island of two surrounded by what a phenomenon, a beach phenomenon it is here in America. It's one of the best beaches in New England for sure. Well, in the first world. Of all, possibly just, in the world. Yeah. First of all, I, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna keep it down because we don't want everyone. It's coming. too late, man. Nah, it's, it's over. Late. They know. They all know. <laughs> no, but we don't want more Canadians coming. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're too polite. They'd, there'd be too much. Hi, how you doing? Can I? I'm just going to put my tent over here. Okay, great, good. Um, <laughs> you don't want that because the Americans are kind of like they're they're very interesting people. You territorial, Americans. very territorial. Yes, very. It's about me. Yeah. There's not. There's far less um, natural communalism. They're not. You know, sort of. Right. About, right. They're, they're first off out of the gate. Now there is. They're wonderful people. I love Yanks. I've been coming down here for you know 45 years doing gigs and i love them people say to me sometimes i'm i'm a little bit hard on facebook about the political you know realities of you know america versus canada but um, I, I love them for their eccentricities 
But the one thing that I find is there's a lot more internal tribalism. Very, you know, that family, you know, it's like, you know, fuck off, this is mine, you know, that kind of deal, or don't come over here. Or they're a little bit sort of where Canadians will go, oh, no, that's fine. Oh, yeah, sure. And they'll go like, they'll give you that look like, what? Gonna, <laughs> you want to come here? No. Now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't completely disagree with you. I, I do think that our year-round community, though, one of the reasons I love it here is because they're a little more along the lines of the it takes a village attitude. Right. I, w- I wouldn't the, doubt it. Local. I, I wouldn't should, doubt it. I should have briefed you before. Rich is one of our year-round residents. Well, I, that's 100% right. I'm not talking about the yeah, year-round no, locals. No, I know Because I mean. know a few of them. I've yeah. met a few of them over the years. I'm Very sorry. charming people. No, no, they're <laughs> yeah. eccentric and delightful. Um, yes, much more like Canadian, I would say. I would say that they're, uh, because it is a, a, you know, a sort of, you have to sort of count on each other if you're here year round in some ways. I, would, some I wonder if the political shit really hits a fan if we could secede and Canada would adopt Block Island. Oh my God, imagine if we became part of Canada. <laughs> Maurice, you could leave here. I mean, you could live here. You know, the beer's so much stronger. I don't know if you guys can handle it. It's just way too much for your, your delicate palate with what your pee-pee Budweiser drinks. Oh, oh, I found that out man, the hard way, Now too. you're really shitting on America, man. Can I tell you my one-minute Canada trip? Yeah, and I don't drink. So, so I venture my own... I think it's the only time I've ever been. I went to Canada. My yes. wife's from Minnesota, so we went up to Fort Francis, I think it in, is. Or, in Manitoba. Yeah, right in the middle. Oh, Coldest Lord. spot on the... Coldest spot I've ever been in my life. Yeah. But I was so excited because I was under 21 and drinking age is 18. So I can't wait to get up there. Yeah, that's our claim so, to fame. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was just great. Get, you know? get him drinking young. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think I'm, you know, trying to. I'm on. I'm young. I'm on a budget. You know, I'm living off of my summer Finns money or whatever. And uh, so I'm ordering Budweisers the whole night. And then I, you know, the guy goes, "Wouldn't you like to try something a little, you know, stronger?" Like I think they had a Molson Black. Sure. You know, at the time. Sure. And I was like, well, I'm trying not to be on a budget. He goes, well, you're drinking imported beer the whole night. You could be drinking. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was being like. Then the light bulb goes out. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. You're not in Kansas anymore. So then I had a blast with the strong beer up there. That was fun. Yeah. That'll knock on your ass, apparently. Like, we used to have a beer called Bredore in Quebec, which was, I think it was almost like six percent you know whereas most beers are like two or three yeah so what what was your life like growing up in canada where did you grow up where are you from originally i'm originally from montreal i grew up uh there i'm half french canadian and half irish but i grew up in a multicultural neighborhood in montreal which is very diverse and very multicultural about 50 percent of the population is french canadian the rest is you know Greeks, Italians, uh, Jews, uh, of, you know, a different sort of Eastern European backgrounds, a huge Hasidic population in the neighborhood where I grew up, which huh. was called Outremont, Interesting. which is an area in Montreal that's just north of the center of the city. Montreal is basically an island, like Block Island. Maybe that's why I like it here so much, because I grew up on an island. And it, there's a mountain on, and it basically runs down, and there's this, the St. Lawrence River goes, opens up around this island. And uh, I lived on the north face of it, um, which was at the top of the mountain, there's rich French Canadians. On the other side of the mountain, there's rich Anglos. Basically, Canada, 
after 1787, I believe, or some, no, earlier than that, 1737, uh, when the British um, conquered the French on the Plains of Abraham. It was uh, Wolfe versus Montcalm, and England took over Canada. What the, the, the thing that was odd about it was that everywhere else the British went, they completely wiped out the, the, the previous colonial masters. But in, for some reason, in that area of New France, they allowed the uh, government, the French-Canadian or the, the French government at the time, the local French-Canadiens, to uh, remain part of the political structure. Huh, okay. So what this – but there's a, there's a byproduct of that. What that caused was, over many years, for them to assert the French-Canadians, to assert more power within, which created a conflict until the 1960s and 70s when we had that distinct uh, society battle of language and uh, we had the FLQ, which is the Fédération de Libération du Québec, which were terrorists like they put bombs in uh, mailboxes and they kidnapped uh, James Cross and Pierre Laporte and assassinated Pierre Laporte and our great prime minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, uh, put the War Measures Act uh, in 1969. So I was a young lad. I was 12 and there were tanks in the streets of Montreal wow. and growing up. And that was a... Di- so Montreal is a very interesting uh, cosmopolitan European sort of flair to it. But because the... English did not uh, sort of crush that sort of Francais. Yeah. What it's led to is some, you know, that growth, you know, of, of those people. They have a, we have a thing in Canada where they talk about um, uh, a distinct society or, you know, their cultural sort of uh, need to survive, like the French language and right. like that. So they've, they've imposed a lot of, um, um, Punitive, gotcha. Um, so, is there uh, still laws. any kind of like you know lingering beef between you know it's, Anglo's and yes, French? Can- yeah, yes, so it's and like- it's it's gone on for so in the sixties. What happened was that whole thing. I grew up in the midst of that political strife. So it wasn't just America that was going through political upheaval in the sixties. No, you Canada guys had you guys shape. had your civil rights and yeah. the Watts burning and you know yep. all that kind of yep. stuff. At the same time, you know, there was, you know, the Kennedy assassinations and the right versus left and who did what and conspiracy theories and who's killing who and what rubbish was going on. Yeah, there's some powers that be and I'm a kook when it comes to, you know, capitalism and socialism and things like that. Um and I know that there's, you know, overlords as it were. There's no distinct. It's not like they get together like Mr. Burns and his gang, yeah. you know. <laughs> Excellent. You know, it's not like that. But they have they have similar goals yeah. and they know what helps them. Like the Koch brothers, these guys are not stupid. They know that this helps this guy and that helps this guy. Of course. But we're, I, I oh, So anyways, though, in the midst of all this, you're a, you're a youngster growing up in right. this time. And in the midst of all this political upheaval, here come the Rolling Stones. And what you happens? hear their yeah. music. When's the first time you remember hearing the Rolling I Stones? I heard the Rolling Stones, and I posted this actually on Facebook. It was the first time they were on the Ed Sullivan Show. It was 1964. I think it was October 23rd. I had a sister, an older sister, Lynn, who was one of the first, or one of a group of hippies. She was a few years uh, older than me, a couple years older than me, but she was a real renegade. And she would hang out at McGill University, which was a, you know, hotbed of sort of, you know, dissident thinking and, you know, socialist sort of hippie-like 
Um, now, McGill is kind of like the Harvard of Canada, correct? Very much so. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. It's our Harvard. Um, and she, from her little bedroom, she had this little bedroom. We lived in a little flat. I came from a very lower middle class family. My father was a uh, very old when I was born. He was 50. He was born in 1909. He was a union organizer in the 30s. He helped one of the first, write one of the first welfare bills in the Mackenzie King government. He was a secretary to one of those. So we came from a very politically active uh, background. My sister was a rabble rouser and a hippie. And I would listen to people like Delaney and Bonnie, Joe Cocker, Long John Baldry, Willie Dixon, um, uh, you know, Muddy. James Brown. Um, James Brown was huge. And, and all those people. And I was this little kid. But when I saw the world, and, and it really affected me because it was ingrained. You know, you get this stuff repeating and you get this groove. But we had seen the Beatles. She was, we watched the Beatles and everybody was like, hey, and I was always singing. You know, I want to hold your hand. You know, I was doing all that. And I do little performances and stuff like that. It was a... You know, very hyper kid, as you can tell. Shocking. Yeah, yeah. It's that's odd. It doesn't seem <laughs> apropos. You seem so calm and uh, you know reserved. <laughs> yeah, talking about my twelve-year-old penis on stage last night. That yeah. was delightful. Yeah. And yeah. pubic hair, yeah. a pubic hair, yeah. which my girlfriend said, "Don't do that ever again." Because <laughs> it's really it's thick. It's I don't know. It's like weird. Why are you talking about twelve-year-old penises? What? I, you know, I have to realign my whole approach to this episode. Yes, you do. I think we all do. W- way smarter than I was expecting. Uh, yeah, well, that well most, and that is a compliment. Well, most musicians are dumb as fence posts, but I, I'll, I, I will tell you this. I really bro. just thought I was going to be like, yeah, man. The first know, that, 20. Wow. The first no, no, 20. No. So I grew up in that background. Yeah. Very, very socially active politically. My sister worked for Pierre Elliott Trudeau as a child. Uh, I was exposed to that and music and the Rolling Stones. But here's what I liked about the Rolling Stones. I about the Beatles when they came out. My, here's what my problem was. My parents were okay with the Beatles. Ah, and when I saw the Stones, and hey, I came from, even though it was a lower middle class, my father was the salt of the earth. I loved him. He's my hero. My mom was the sweetest gal. There was no booze in my house. There was none of that. It was very, very proper. There was me and my brother, my older sister, and my baby sister. So it was, you know, perfect little family. And yet I chose to rebel Against no reason to rebel, but I rebelled because I think that I fell on my head when I was a kid or something like that. I I think it's the natural order of things. It's supposed to at some point. But I was actually smashed in the head with a wooden baseball bat right in the top. Oh my God. Here. I was too. By a friend of mine. And me too. It cracked the bat because it hit me right on, he hit right on the, uh, you know, the, Louisville Slugger stamp. Yep. And apparently that's, but it, boom, it hit me right there. Didn't even break the skin and it cracked the back. <laughs> well, that's. Uh... And that kid looked at me and went, okay, we're good. Yeah. Oh, wait, it was a fight. It wasn't a mistake. Well, it was sort of a fight. Okay, you know, gotcha. he's kind of like, you know, he's going back and forth. He just swung the bat like as a joke, but uh. it hit me and he was like, oh my God. But the fact that it cracked. And then I didn't go down, you know. He's like, he, he was like, you that w- didn't knock him you down. You win, buddy. But I didn't even realize it didn't even hurt. Wow! I just went, what? What the hell happened? So you think that has a spot? Something to do with the fact that you? No, but no? it's a good story. It's a good. It's a great story. <laughs> it's a good story. <laughs> so, anyways, I grew up in that weird environment, and the French and English. There was always that. Yeah. 
angst. Yeah, yeah. And that helped fuel my sort of arrogance and, you know, fuck you, you know, because I grew up in an area that was a lot of Anglos and I was French Canadian. And my mom would always say, your dad will teach you French. You're going to English school. But if you vie out of a neighborhood in Montreal and find yourself in a French Canadian neighborhood, and you know you don't speak French, there could be problems. Yeah, really. But I grew up at I, Irish, so we were you know, and and I knew the Irish mob in Montreal. I was associated with it through friends and kids. And the Irish mob in Montreal were the guys that they hired. The Italian mob hired to do their dirty work. In fact, my best man uh, at my wedding. Um, which I had to get married because I had impregnated the uh, daughter of one of the Irish mob. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Oh, yeah. I got married on a Monday with sneakers on at the Justice of the Peace. Oh, boy. Um, uh, he, and hence, you're still here. <laughs> and, and he ended up with six bullets in his head in a parking lot at the um, Victoria Station in Montreal. Um, God rest his I don't believe in God, but God rest his soul. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up Whoa. in a very tough neighborhood. That's crazy. The rich up here and the poor down here. Yeah. So you know what they always say? They're pissing down on you and looking up. So you're always angry at those. You know, they, you, you get an attitude. Yeah. You get a chip. So I, that's how I grew up. And I still have that sort of arrogant, fuck you attitude. Sometimes gets me into trouble. You know, I've been slugged a few times in my day. I had my teeth knocked out, you know, playing hockey and shit like that because I was a nasty little hockey player. Were you? Yeah, I was very tiny too. I only weighed 135 pounds no like when kidding. I was 18. So I was this tiny kid, but I was a real prick. They used to call me le cochon. What's the that? French players, the pig. The pig. <laughs> I was like, I was like, like sticked them, you know, slashed them on the ankles. I tried to compensate for my lack of size by being, you know, louder and you know that you know yeah yeah you know when when, when I don't know what species, but you know they get big. You know they try to creating a presence. Yeah. Exactly, I can I can relate to that. And sometimes mm-hmm. it gets you in trouble. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Like you have to be bigger than you really are. You think you do. Yeah, and that's the problem. I don't. No, you've got that. You've no, got it on. But you actually have the opposite. I was going to say I do have the opposite. Problem. I'm the guy that the little angry guy targets. Yeah, I have a son st- just yeah. like you. He's six yeah. three and two twenty <laughs> and built like a brick shit house. And he's constantly being challenged. Yeah, it's like I will mess you up. I'm yeah. like, why? <laughs> like, yeah, what did I? You know. So let's get back to the stone. Not, I'm sorry, this is interesting, but I, I gotta get, I gotta get. We to will the, end up somewhere in some gutter. I but go ahead. Gotta get <laughs> to the root of this. So, so at what? So when did you? You heard the Stones. You, you fell in love. You, you ended up becoming a Stones guy, not a Beatles guy. Yes. And then very much so. What at what point? So you started playing in bands, I assume. When did you start no, singing? When did no. that? When did I was your always I was always singing on street corners or in the park. We had this park called JFK Park, which was a swimming pool and, and uh, just a hang around park for the my era of you know hippie dumb sort of hash dealers. Yeah, I was a hash dealer. Yeah, that's what I did from a young kid. I sold hash and smoked a lot of hash. Yep, and uh, it kind of kept my ADD down. You yeah, know? It kept me even. Yes. And we would sit around and we would sing. And we had factions in my neighborhood. You either were a Stones blues guy or you were a Led Zeppelin, which was a little more heavy, or you were a Grand Funk Railroad or you were, you know, there was these weird factions. And uh, there was a kid, Fern Bowie, who was uh, this uh, black kid who was a great little guitar player. And he had this little band that he played with. So we were, I was, he was a little bit younger than me. And I hung around these toughs, like I said. And one of the toughs was this kid named Stevie Glassberg, who was just 
this guy was as foul as the day. He could be as foul as the day as long. Sweet but foul. Like he was very overbearing. Shut up. Shut up. Do it. It's like the little kids were like, okay. And we were passing by. Like I was always singing. Everybody knew I sang. Uh, and everyone knew I liked the Stones. But they had this little band. So they were in this garage. It's a little single, you know, sort of one floor little square garage that we have in Montreal. Kind of like Chicago has the same ones. Odd. Um, the way Montreal sort of buildings are. They're interesting. They're unique, but there's some places like Chicago that have it as well. Huh. So it's a little square, one thing, a garage, and they're literally a garage band. And they're playing. And we walk by, you know, doing our tough, what's going on? Shut up, fuck you. And uh, Stevie says, let, and then everybody in Montreal calls me Morris. Morris. Yes, okay. because of my mum. Okay. Because she's Irish, but from England, and she's Morris, Morris. No, no Maurice. No Maurice. No, and not more, uh, and not Maurice, you know, like how the yeah. French guys, it was Morris. So let Morris sing. And I was like, oh, crap, no. But, anyways, I sang with those guys, and I think we did like Jumpin' Jack Flash or something like that. And that, I. You know, when you walk up to a microphone for the first time, I guess a lot of people get freaked out, but I didn't. I almost looked at it and went, give me that fucking thing. <laughs> it was like the ultimate power. Yeah. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. I have no, I have never in my life ever, and I've done over 5,000 shows, yeah. ever felt butterflies or afraid to get up there and sing. You want it. You want it. It's I just like, go, give me the mic. It's actually, fuck you, give me the mic. Yeah. It's, it's like, you can that tell. gives you that natural high. And the know, vibe, when thing. you're on stage performing, <clears throat> even if people don't know your story, which they're going to hopefully, if they listen to this, hopefully, um, you don't need to know your story. It's like your story is just leaking out of your, your aura. Like, you give yeah. it to the audience. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it's just, you can't take your eyes off of you. That I can do it. You know, that I actually ended up being able to do it. Because a lot of people grab a mic and start singing and you go, I'm sorry, could you stop that, please? No, that, no. That no, would be me. Please. No, no, really. You have a lovely stop voice. Stop it. <laughs> no. Now. Um, lots of people do. Um, I'm kind of, uh, in many ways, I think, really? They like what I do? Okay. Because from the minute yeah. I did it, everybody went, wow. So fast forward to the brides. When do the brides come to be? So I'm playing with this little band now. Yeah. Now we're, this is like 12, 13 years old, 14 years old. We play in our high school. We do a few things. You know, I'm this, again, I'm sort of having this little sort of localized cult following. And then we played a couple of clubs. And then we had another cult following. We were called Jade. Jade. So this band, Jade, is playing this little club called Le Grand Buck. And just for in Montreal. Frimmer, what year around is this? This is 1978. Okay. And early 1978. Quick question for me. Do at this time was that band doing only Rolling Stones or are we no. still doing all kinds no, of covers? No, no. I uh, okay. we did a lot of Rolling Stones, but we did a lot of David Bowie. We did a lot yeah. of we did some Bruce Springsteen, we did some lots of Jay Giles. Yeah. Jay yeah. Giles was our thing. A lot of popular covers at the time. Not really. Here's okay. the odd thing. See <laughs> Not that's so much Rich. That's Rich, that's where we'll get you. Here's what the <laughs> thing about the band was. Other than the Stones, which everything was a hit, we would do weird shit like we would do uh Truck Driving Man by Jay Giles. 
styles. Like we're pour me another cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, like we're saying doom and people go, What the fuck is that? Or we would do Moon Age Daydream, which nobody would do as Bowie. Like when you're playing Bowie, it's well, we would play some like Ziggy and whatnot, but we would play like Diamond Dogs and Moon Age Daydream. We would play B cuts. Yeah. But because I was completely out of control <laughs> on stage, I guess people thought it was cool and but uh, obviously the forte was the Stones because I had to look like Jagger. Yeah, did you realize that back then? Were people coming up to you saying, dude, you look a lot like Mick Jagger? Yes and no. I had a big mouth. Okay. And uh, again, another bit of the what, story you mean, a was- a physically big mouth? Yeah, well, I was skinny and I had big lips. Okay. Both. Both, yeah. Yeah, and I had <laughs> a big mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah. The combination worked delightfully right. well. Obviously. But here's another weird thing about me. When I was 11 years old, I did get my teeth knocked out. With a, in a hockey fight, right? A guy butt ended me in the mouth and knocked these three teeth out. So from the age of eleven until eighteen, because we could not afford it, I walked around with one tooth missing, this one cracked and rotting, and this one cracked and rotting. So wow. I had the strangest look, and not only drove the chicks crazy, and that's another reason why I got into a lot of trouble because I didn't. I was like the singer from the Pogues, only worse. And there was this thing like, what does he not know that he has that? Why is he singing and doing? So that pushed me to be even more arrogant. Yep. And then when I got the teeth, the caps. When I was 18, all hell broke loose. Oh, man. Because I actually, people went, wow, the guy is not bad looking. And he really does look like Jagger. And like, he's he's good. Sounds like you really needed that boost of confidence. It's almost yeah. weird. Yeah, that, you know, <laughs> that it took that little thing to make everything change. Yeah. But I always had that, yeah, sure. Now you like me. Yeah. And it still to this day it sits in the back of my mind subconsciously yeah. going because yep. imagine going through puberty now as a young boy and then turning into a young man looking like that. I I mean I was hideous. It was hideous to look at. And my parents could do nothing about it because they were low, lower middle class. Dentists, you know, were... were an extravagance. Oh, it was out of control. Yeah. I am just hoping to God you have a picture that you can send me. Absolutely not. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you, there was one picture. There are pictures of me, like you can see when I was little, little, like in my baseball picture. But I'm always like this. Oh, the lips shut. Yep. 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 yep pretty yep. common. Even like this. Wow. Mm -hmm. But there is one high school picture when I was 15 that I looked like a complete, like, you know, hippie, you know, kind of guy with the beads and all this. And they actually have my mouth open with that. And to, I searched high and low to destroy every one of those pictures. Wow. Really? So that yeah. Was a, that was real, really a painful time in terms of growing up and trying to. Well, you, you don't know. get and do what I do on stage without being in severe pain. Yeah. Now, whether it's justified yeah. You know, we all have, we all justify our own pain. You know, some people have been, you know, our child soldiers in Africa. That's pain. Yeah. To right. live that life. Right. Or some kids are in sweatshops and, you know, wherever, Bangladesh. That's pain. Yeah. And some kids can't get the next version of the iPhone for another three weeks. And, you Apparently know, that's pain. That's terrible. But my dad had a belt 
right. that would teach them pain. Right. And I tell you, some of them need a good smack. Well, I like the way. It, Sorry. Obvi- no, that's fine. You've turned pain, <laughs> though. You turn pain. That's what artists do, I believe. One of the things artists do yeah. is you take pain and you turn it into something beautiful. Timing is a, another beautiful thing as well. Yeah. Because when we. So, anyways, I was playing this gig. Actually, back can, to the story. Go hang ahead. on one sec. Can I pause you? Speaking yeah. of timing, yeah. uh, I don't know if you believe this or not, but we actually have sponsors this year and people give us money. Uh, to advertise with us, that, so that'll but, be twenty bucks. The, please, part of the deal is we we have to play their sponsorship yeah. spot. So, so right. we're about halfway. So we're going to take a little break, hear yes. from our sponsors, and then we'll get we'll jump right back in with sure. that. Okay, where were we? Oh, the ground buck. Yeah, keep listening. Remember folks. that. We'll be right That's back. Back start. with Morris, back. Maurice, Morris, Morris, Ramon. Soon. One second. Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar is Block Island's premier night spot and live music venue, bringing only the best in summertime entertainment since 1976. Monday nights are still groovy, so dress in your 70s best for disco night. Then get ready to sing along on Tuesdays and Wednesdays with Neil Haven's Dueling Pianos. Friday and Saturday nights, Captain Nick's features the best cover party and tribute bands in New England. And don't miss the legendary Captain Nick's Sunday Fun Day with the Young Guns from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. on the deck. Captain Nick's is proud to feature its new food menu seven days a week from 4.30 to close, which means late night grub until 12.30 a.m. seven days a week. Lunch is served Thursday through Sunday at noon. And if you're looking for the island's best mudslide, Nick's is also the spot for afternoon fun when you come off the beach with great acoustic entertainment outside on the deck. Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar, 34 Ocean Avenue, right across from the Block Island Grocery. Visit CaptainNick'sBI.com for all information. Hey, Mark, who are you most excited to see this summer at Captain Nick's? I always love the Blushing Brides, the Rolling Stones tribute band. You almost feel like you're looking at the real Mick Jagger. Whether you're experienced or a beginner, fishing on Block Island is one of the greatest experiences you can have. Our friends at BI Fishworks are there to make sure it's amazing. Block Island Fishworks offers charter trips for whatever you're after. Striped bass, bluefish, fluke, sea bass, bonita, you name it, they know how to catch it. If you're into light tackle and fly fishing, Captain Chris does morning charters of up to three people. If your group's a little larger, climb aboard the Harley with Captain Hank. The Harley does half and full day trips for up to six people. If boats aren't your thing, there's still plenty of great spots to fish from shore. BI Fishworks has everything you need. A great selection of equipment, tackle, and plenty of tips and pointers on when and where to go and what the fish are biting. The shop, located at 40 Ocean Avenue, is open daily and season. While you're there, check out the great shirts, hats, hoodies, and a bunch of other cool swag. To book a charter, get info on the shop, check out their merch and all things fishing, visit their website, bifishworks.com. You know, Mark, I love fishing with those guys. You ever been out with them? Oh, my God. A number of times, actually. And you know what? Every single time, we've caught fish. It's worth the trip just to spend a half a day with Hank. Hank is a force of nature, as we know. Yeah, he's great. And you know what? A lot of times your fishing trip can include a buzz by or even a quick tour of the of the wind farm, which is pretty awesome. And you know what? The the, the greatest thing about Fishworks is that they have everything you need. Every everything. All right, let's talk food. My favorite subject. So Eli's Restaurant fired up its culinary magic back in 1994. And today, Chef Erica Monet continues to delight the palate with some of the island's most remarkable dishes. I love the tuna nachos, and they make an arugula salad with seared goat cheese that's making me hungry just thinking about it. Everything is crafted with local, fresh ingredients. The menu changes throughout the season, always offering new temptations for your taste buds. Order a bottle of wine from their amazing wine list or try a Rosarita. 
Or how about a fever tree dark and stormy? Yeah, you know what? What the heck? Get one of each. Whatever your poison, Eli's selection of cocktails and wines will delight. Owners Brad and Ann Marthens and Rosemary Tobin, along with the rest of the staff, truly make Eli's a place that feels warm and welcoming. Most of Eli's staff have been there for a long time, and that says to me they love what they do, and trust me, it shows. Eli's has a long season and serves culinary delights from March right into November. They open back up for a special New Year's Eve dinner, too. Until COVID subsides, they ask if you could please make reservations. Treat yourself to a meal to remember. So start with a visit to Eli's website, elisblockisland.com. I absolutely love the food at Eli's, and I'm going to let you in on a little insider tip, Rich. Let me have it. Sit at the bar. Oh, yeah. I love sitting at the bar. It's this cozy little corner, and it's just so much fun. Who wouldn't love to live on Block Island? It's like a little slice of heaven right here on Earth. So whether you're looking to get away or considering making Block Island your home, be sure to stop by Lila Delman Compass and say hello to Rosemary. She and her dedicated team can help find the perfect home to suit your new island lifestyle. Lila Delman Compass has a long history and legacy across the state of Rhode Island as being the top real estate firm for over 57 years. So far this year, they are the number one firm on Block Island, leading the luxury real estate market statewide. Rosemary Tobin of Lila Delman Compass is ranked as the number one agent on the island this year, from selling the highest priced property on the island to helping first-time visitors find the perfect rental. Rosemary does it all. The next time you get off the ferry, stop by their office on Dodge Street around the corner from the National Hotel. They're knowledgeable team is happy to answer any questions about the island and help with any of your real estate needs. You know, Mark, I got to say so many people ask me about Santa Block Island and I tell them, you know, one of the best experiences is renting a house. Absolutely. Know? Come out with your family and uh, just spend the week. There's nothing better. Yeah. And it's great to split a nice big home with a couple of families, good friends. And even though uh, I'm still a few years away from being able to afford a house on Block Island, when I am, I'm going straight to Lila Delman. <laughs> Okay, so where were we? Go ahead. Uh, forgot. We're talking about the... Uh... I don't like Germans. I don't like the way they move. What? <laughs> They're very robotic. I don't like them. How do you get on with French people? Oh, delightful. They're very nice. You know, fatty foods are wonderful. Sorry. Oh, no, that's not where we were. We were at a place called the Grand Buck right. in Montreal, right on the strip in St. Catherine Street, which is very funky. And we had been playing there a few times, and we had built this cult following, so it was stuffed, and it was crazy. Um, and apparently this girl who had seen us several times knew of a band that was coming to Montreal, and they were a band called Concilium. And they had a guy in the band who was a Rolling Stones fanatic, and his name was Paul Martin. And Paul Martin was at a club called The Mustache which was a very famous Montreal, very cool club to play at, and his band was playing there. But he had a day off before they started, so he was going to come and see this band that this girl insisted she come and see to see the front man because I was nuts. Um, <laughs> I was like Iggy Pop meets Mick Jagger in oh, those days. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, like really yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, they would go, I, I think it's a stroke, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure because, yeah, he seems to be, you know, speaking Convulsing well. Still yeah. seems to be yeah. smoking yeah, hash, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, and I've... even with the hash, I was still like, can you imagine if I wasn't on it? Like, I, I God. it was a blessing. Lithium, anyone? <laughs> I'm out of hash. Oh, God. Oh, oh no. Everyone. Oh, I'll tell you a hash story, too, about later when we get into the bribes. That's how nuts it is for the hash. So, anyways, this guy shows up. 
and we play the show, and he walks up to me, and he looks just like Keith Richards, circa 1972. He even had the little patch of blonde on one side with the, you know, that sort of big hairdo. You know the picture yeah. of Keith that says, yeah. you know, patience, please, uh, drug-free America comes first, where he's all yeah. smacked out? That guy walked in, and I went, oh, shit. It's Keith. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, oh, my God, this is it. I'm going to meet the Stones. And I see him walking up, and this is what came out of his mouth. Hey, how's it going, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Paul Martin. Right on. And he stuck his hand out. And all he said to me, I swear to God, he said, I want to make a band with you. And I went, I'm sorry, what? What did you, what? What is that accent? Because Ontario people. Thank God you didn't say baby. Yeah. Yeah. Ontario people have this kind of really, right on. Right on. Oh, beauty, eh? Get your two four, eh? Right on. Get it, get two four is a case of twenty four beer. Apparently, I don't know. I don't drink. Get your two four, eh? Right on. Let's go party. So he handed me a business card, and he looked like Keith Richards, even though he sounded odd. And I took it, and I looked at it, and it was a manager's number, Gord Nickel. And he said, "Call me. I want to make a band with you." So I was just a street thug selling hash and playing with this little band, and I thought. I'm not going anywhere. So, you know, I dropped out of high school. Well, I didn't drop out. I got kicked out of high school. Sorry. I guess I should be honest. Is yeah. this, are we, are we in the safe nest? We're in a safe space. Oh, yeah. yeah. No one's going to hear this, right? I was booted out of high school in grade 10 because I beat up the, uh, or I punched in the face the vice principal. Oh, man. because For no reason. How many people want to do that, though? Yeah. Well, I did it. And I did it. Uh, it was stupid. I just, but, you know, nonetheless, I got kicked out of high school and uh, I was a hash dealer and i thought what am i going to do i mean with my life and i had this wonderful girlfriend lucy cleary uh whose family were irish mob people but she was delightful and wonderful and i loved her to death and she said um you should give him a call and i did and a week later i was on a bus to kingston ontario which is a small town right in between montreal and toronto met his manager he picked us up and, and i brought lucy with me and we went to see them play in this little club somewhere in ontario i think it was trenton ontario and it was packed and stuffed and i jumped on stage they played their show and they were a fantastic band yeah like compared to my band which was like a punk band like you jade was like kind of very punky and messy and not tight um, these guys were like pros. They had their own PA. They had a truck. They had a manager. They had all kinds of stuff. I was like, oh. And he said, yeah, yeah, Paul's going to get you to come up there at the end, right? So, uh, yeah, he'll call you up. And I waited and waited. And uh, at the end of the night, he says, uh, yeah, we got this guy uh, from Montreal, and uh, we want you to meet him, and he's going to be playing with us. And I came up, and he started Satisfaction. And it was the first time I'd heard Satisfaction played the way I thought Keith Richards could play, because Paul Martin was as good at playing uh, Rolling Stones, Keith Richards' guitar. He was the first guy I ever met that talked about open tuning, first yep. of all. Yep. And this was back in 1978, so nobody would talk about, like, no, nobody had a clue. Nobody even knew no that's what bands. Keith was doing. No, nobody did. They didn't even, they're like, did. how does he get that sound? And, and Paul Martin had, he was a collector, so before bootlegs were fashionable, he had 134 bootlegs. Uh-huh. So he was one of, like, five people in the world. And in those days, you would have to mail out to get them, and you had these weird, you know, underground magazines oh, that you yeah, would yeah, to yeah. find them and stuff yep. like that. He had 134. Wow. 
Stone's bootlegs. Wow. Like he had everything. Like it was like. Please tell me that collection is still together somewhere. Yes. Do you have it? No. Uh, the hard part. He doesn't even let me touch it. Uh, he, Paul is still with us. He still has it. It's still. He, he sold some of it for, he needed some money, but he has the, the most important pieces. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Cool. He has, he has, he was a remarkable, he is to this day a remarkable chap and he's my partner and he will always be my partner, even though he finds that very distasteful to have to live with because I'm such a <laughs> cunt. Um, but he, he knows it and we're attached at the hip DNA wise. Is he still your guitar player for in the brides? Yes and no. Okay, Paul, gotcha. Paul played in the brides from, was the originator of the brides. He and I, um, I joined his band Concilium gotcha, and great. we went right out on the road. We played 287 shows in 1979. <laughs> Wow. Was I tired? Road dogging wow. it. You were road dogging it. We were road dogging it. Again and- now, still doing lots of different covers, or had you started to hone in on the uh, Rolling Stones? Well, we, no. We, here's, here's the thing about The Brides. The Brides was never, the, the, the Brides is a long, twisted story. I hope we've got time. Yeah. Let me just time. ramble. Go. Okay. So we start playing shows, we're, and we do basically what my other band did, Jade. He was a cover band, Concilium, but they did weird stuff. They did, your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock. And he also did Cheap Trick. And then he did Burton Cummings, you know, stand tall. Like weird stuff. And Aerosmith, you know, like uh, Dream On. But brilliantly, they could do anything, these cats. So I joined this band and we started playing Stones, Springsteen. We did Prove It All Night. We did Adam Raised a Cane. Oh, wow. We did stuff that was outside the box. We did Chimes by Jay Giles live Blow Your Face Out. You ever want to hear a tune that is a remarkable live tune Chimes by Jay Giles. I don't think anybody knows that song, but when we heard it, we went because we had a B3 player. Yeah, of course. Keyboard player. And this cat, Andre LaSalle, nailed the Seth Justman. Oh. So we did that song to a T, and people go, Wow, man, what an original song. They go, No, no, that's Jay Giles. <laughs> but we also wrote songs, some, yeah. and I brought songs from my other band, Jade, that I had written with Fern Bowie. Yeah. And we started playing some of those songs, and they all went over well. But the Stones always went over really well. Yeah. Well, you had Mick and Keith. Right. And we did, so the progression was we started to play a whole bunch of shows in Canada for the first six months, and then we did a gig in Syracuse, New York. We got visas to cross the border, and we were like little kids going to Wonderland. It was like, you know, our own little Beatles or Rolling Stones moment landing at JFK. Only we crossed the border at a thousand islands. And ended up in Syracuse. And we're, you're in Syracuse now, eh? (laughs) Go orange, man. I don't know what they are, but did you, sure. Even though there was no one at the airport waiting for you, did you still do the wave? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we actually <laughs> drove across in our van, oh, and we were like, right. hello, <laughs> hello, everyone, we're coming. And a funny story, the guy at the border was this guy, I swear to God, his name was um, Sergeant Rock. He was the commander at the border crossing. He was. He looked like Archie Bunker, and when we came across the border, he looked at us and he went, Jesus Christ, what the hell is this? (laughs) Were his exact first words. Funny story. Three years later, we had put out our first album, and he had a copy of the album, and he asked us if we would sign it for his granddaughter. Come on. I swear to God, Sergeant Rock turned out to be one of the coolest, sweetest cats ever. But the first encounter was like, 
But he never gave your hash back. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a few of those stories crossing the border. Oh, oh yeah. boy. So anyways, we go to the States. We play a gig in Syracuse. All hell breaks loose. There's an agent there. We, play brown, we start the show with brown sugar. So that nobody knows who we are. We've never been in the States. This guy just hired us. Says, yeah, they're a good cover man. They do a lot of stones. He goes, ah, sure, bring them down. Uh, U.S. Sam's, it was called in Syracuse. So we opened the show with brown sugar. And I got to tell you, the, the original brides were ferocious. We used to have a saying that 50 of you will not make it past the first song. That's how, <laughs> seriously, that yeah, was our yeah, credo. Yeah. We had a, You're there to we had a four-man off. crew. Yep. We brought our own PA, wow. which was um, four bins per side, bass yep. bins per side, uh, four um, um, uh, mid-range, and uh, two um, uh, you know, tweeters or the- Yeah, yeah, know, the highs, yeah. We, 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 we carried that. We had right. 10,000 watts we, of sound alone. We should mention for our listeners now, too, and like gear today is not like gear back in the no. 70s. No, I play- Two synthesizers that can make any sound. I think they could sound like a Rhodes. They could sound like a Wurlitzer. They could sound yes. like a B three. Back in the day, you guys were lugging it around an actual Hammond B three organ, a chopped down B three. Yeah, chopped and a Leslie. Yep, and a Rhodes right. Fender Rhodes and a uh, another kind of piano that sounded like a piano piano, like a Yamaha CP. Exactly. Yeah, I know yeah, exactly one of the first ones. Plus, we had. You know, giant high watt, one hundred watt guitar Bass amps, amps and guitar, guitar amps, amps. Yeah, guitar. like oh, the Who. Wow. We were so oh, fucking man. loud, man. We were nuts. Wow. And so you're talking tons and tons of gear. We had a 22-foot rider truck that was so packed that when you opened it up, invariably something would fall out and hurt somebody. Amazing. And we had a four-man crew. Or someone. <laughs> yeah. And we had a four-man crew, and we traveled like this traveling circus all over. And when we got there, we set up, we played, and we hit brown sugar, and something happened. Something weird happened. The crowd went cuckoo, and there were agents there who, and then we just started getting phone calls from everywhere in the States. And one of the places was uh, Boston and this area, New England area, uh, from a um, Flash Groups, uh, which was an agency down here that did a lot of colleges and stuff like that. And they started to book us like crazy. And then that whole thing about, you know, that term clone band that you hear when you hear, oh, they're a clone band. I don't know if you guys even remember because that was like, that, that was I've what never heard, tribute band. I've never heard that term. Okay, so first you hear now, you know what tribute band. Tribute band. Tribute band. Right. Okay, so here's what happened. We go and play in Boston or we're about to play in Boston and there's an ad, or there's an article in the Boston Globe that said, Stones clones invade New England. <laughs> Nice. Okay, so that turns into every music agent hears, like B agents and whatnot, hears about this. And in the article, they actually asked Mick Jagger about us. Really? And he quotes. There's quotes from Mick Jagger. They asked him, I said, what do you think about this Blushing Brides? You know, they're uh, they're doing Rolling Stones music and they, you know, and he goes, well, it's a bit of rubbish, isn't it? You know, you know, it's, you know. If that's what you want to do with an evening, it's like listen to America has a large appetite for recycled garbage, really. So. Whoa, <laughs> you got dissed by Mick himself. And now they're doing exactly what 
he was dissing because at the time he would say, I don't want to be playing Satisfaction when I'm like 50 or Unless 60. they give me $10 million per show. But 70, you're okay with that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so he's basically doing the vaudevillian thing and we're doing the real grimy, doing weird stuff and all that, trying all like the B-sides and doing all that. But everything that they do is all like, you know, it's like, perfectly staged and all that crap so he dissed us back then but it actually helped us out because you know for jagger talking about us everybody went well that gives you validity and then we got letters from the rolling stones office their lawyers saying don't ever ask to record a rolling Stones song a mick jagger a jagger richards composition you will never get permission because they didn't want to feed into the myth and if you use our logos or anything like that, we will sue you uh, virulently. And please tell me you still have those letters. Uh, Gord Nickel does. Cool. Our old manager. Nice. Yeah, All they right. exist. Cool. And uh, when we first got them, we went, you know, as kids, we went, what? They don't like us? <laughs> so the term, back to that story about clones. So that became the shtick. So in 1980, it wasn't tribute bands. Right. It was clone bands. So everybody wanted a clone band of somebody. Led Zeppelin. There was Crystal Ship had uh, was the uh, Doors one. Yeah. They were like us. Physical uh, Graffiti. Physical Graffiti is one of the early ones as well. I think they're like 81 or 82. Led Zeppelin. Um, the Machine. The came. Machine came much later, okay. though. The Machine were like around 85, 84. Okay. I say much later. It's like three, four years. It's like, you know, <laughs> well, it you know. spanned almost... Well, not quite a decade. Yeah. At the time, uh, it took forever. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. So the machine, well, a funny story. Um, the machine's sound man, um, God, what's his name? Uh, Howie. Howie Rose was, I broke up with the brides from 1980, the end of 1982 until 19, early 1984 for a year and a half. Because we had yeah, long yeah, story. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, stuff. And Howie stuff Rose, happened. I played with a band called the Lonely Boys in the States. And Howie was the bass player. And he's from the machine. No kidding. Yeah, he's a great guy. So great now, guy. So, but you guys are one of the original, if not the original tribute band. We, now, we started this whole thing. You start, you were the, are you staking the claim? You, you're going on record saying you are the first tribute band of all time. As we're far the, as you We're know. the first clone band. Clone See, there band. was Beatlemania. Which was a, a Broadway thing. Oh right, uh, yeah, that's okay. right. There was an there was a band before us doing Stones in Toronto called Hot Rocks, but they never left Toronto. They played Stones, and apparently they were good. They just played Stones, but they were a local thing, and they were okay. And there was another a, a band in Montreal called Silk and Steel that I went to see when I was like 14 years old, and they did a version of Midnight Rambler that was ridiculous. The guitar player's name was Murph, and I thought. He actually had a capo on, and he was yeah. playing it in the proper. And I thought, oh, that is crazy. That is so good. I want to do that way. Because we were doing it a little bit different. We didn't know, Fern didn't know about, you know, my first guitar, yes. about the open tuning yeah. and stuff. So we did it, but I compensated for it by being just nuts. Yeah. You know, I well, would just be crazy. To this day, when you, when you, when we do Midnight Rambler, that is a whole, that whole midsection where you bring it down, and it's just, it's an extended thing yes. is that kind that's, of what that's, that's blushing brides yeah that's yeah. purely blushing brides okay now we took the seed from the stones right so you know to get back to our story the tribute band and the clones and then what we did as the blushing brides was which nobody else did everybody else learns because of the paul martin thing we're going to go circle back around to the bootlegs yep we learned 
about live performance by playing lots of shows. Okay, 10,000 hours is a minimum you need on the road, grinding it out. If you don't have that, you're not a musician. I don't care who you are. You can spend as much time in your bedroom as you want, jerking off and playing to, you know, Van Halen or whatever. You're never going to be a real musician. Do you have to do both at the same <laughs> If you can accomplish it. Well, you, you know, know what? If I'm, you already, can jerk I'm already off. sure I mean, I'm not going to be Rich, a musician. Rich, if so you can I, do both of those, <laughs> yeah. okay, you will let you in the club. I got a, I got <laughs> a guitar, Rich. I'll loan it to you after. <laughs> nice. Okay. Get back to me on how yeah. that works And out. some Windex. And Windex, Just, yes. Yeah. Paper towels. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> Paul Martin had all these bootlegs, and we would listen to them incessantly, and we would hear all this weird stuff. Like, there's so much weird. The Stones are such a weird live band, because 90%, okay, not 90, 70% of the time, they suck. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, they're, they're ragged, ragged. They're ragged. They're messy. They don't sound good. The, eh, you know, part of it is the bootlegs. You know, themselves, the way they're recording, you get a bored, you know, recording or something, or someone's holding like, you know, some weird shitty tape recorder and it's, you know. I was going to say, the the whole bootleg collection had to originally be on cassette. Uh, It was uh, vinyls. Oh, vinyls. Vinyls. And some cassettes. Some okay. cassettes. Like, you know, they, they, they there was this underground trading thing. There was a oh, guy yeah, in Boston, yeah. this guy Rooster, who had a bunch of stuff. There was a couple of guys in Europe. And- there was a guy out here, Jimmy Gritman uh, Jr. There was two Jimmy Gritmans, and uh, he, big bootleg guy. The dresser, no clothes in the dresser, just drawers of, yeah. know, at least the top drawers yeah. of yeah. Uh, yeah. just the cassettes yeah, lined Paul up. Paul has uh, a wall of basically albums. Yeah, from- he he gave me a ton of Bob Dylan bootleg stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, really yeah. neat. You and, know. I mean, those were the days when bootlegging was really bootlegging. Like, yes. you know, it's like you were. Sne- it was if you got caught, it was yeah. you know, you'd get kicked out. And, and there was no was tiny doing. tape recorders. You really, literally had this. Big oh yeah, yeah shoebox. It was like thing. that small period of time yeah. when people would go bootleg movies. You know, like the Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It. Yeah. It, was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was great, but the ending was you cry, and then this woman comes on and dances, and you cry again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can always tell the bootlegger. He's a, yeah. it's a summer concert. And he's the only guy in a trench coat. Yeah, right. He's got the, yeah, he's got the thing, the whole setup so, under his jacket. But so you took a lot of performance cues from these bootlegs and incorporated we them. We did specifically the 1973 tour. Okay, which is uh, Bed Spring Symphony, Brussels uh, uh, um, performance. Uh, apparently the reason that there's such a good recording of it is because the stones were banned from playing in germany that year and they had a did a radio show which was broadcast into germany okay and that's where bed spring symphony came from and brussels affair came from that's apparently the story i could be wrong that's what we all believed back then we thought it was cool yeah they were but anyways those recordings yep from that tour were our bible yeah. So we took that, especially with the Mick Taylor aspect of him, Keith Rich being a rhythm guitarist and Mick Taylor being a soloist. Um, that That is not what they are now. Now they are weavers. Yeah. Ronnie and, and Keith weave, guitar weave and all that. Yeah. And Chuck Lavelle holds down the fort. Right. So, but back then it was a true rock band. Yeah. Two guitars, bass and drum. Yeah, there was sax. Yeah, there was somebody playing piano all the time. But that was that. And that beautiful soloing over the top of yeah. Mick Taylor that was elegant. Ugh. And he was mal- the best. Without a doubt. He's the best. The, the most underrated underappreciated delightful technically and tastefully 
playing guitarist that just, I mean, just everything he does, there's nothing, his vibrato and the way he plays is stunning. It's spot on all the time. It's it's just stunning. So what, what now, now, what size venues are you guys playing at, at when you guys now when do you hit a peak and and when you do when, how big does this thing get how big does the blushing brides get so the blushing brides got to about 280 to 250 shows a year until 1982 we're playing venues that range from 200 to 2000 uh we're playing the springfield civic center you know we're playing little arenas in worcester and things like that big theaters it's really really quite popular and we're yeah. doing very well and we're making lots of money so you're you made a a, a decent living or would you a very good living or so, okay so the band grossed grossed yeah in 1980 seven hundred and eighty seven thousand dollars wow Wow. Which is an enormous amount of money. In those days, especially for a working musician, yeah. Uh, we did, again, that 80, I think we did 260-something shows, um, and we grossed that much in 1980, and I made $125 a week. Oh, no. You fell victim we all to did. Like, the we classic all did. manager oh, yes. scams. Oh, yes, 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 oh, yes, 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 yes. man. And I was beaten and broken from playing so long and singing out of my range. Yeah. I, I did all those shows. Basically, like if you were playing piano with blisters on five of, you know, your 10 digits. Yeah. And every time you hit it, it hurt. Ugh. And taking anything you could get, like any kind of acetafetamine or without taking heroin or anything like that. Right. Advil, I've probably taken 100,000 Advil pills in my life. Wow. Just wow. to get through the performance. So I get to the point where I don't feel the pain so I can push yeah, through it. Right. And you know, being um, part of the band now that we've just started to tune down Half Step, the yep. reason we never did it was Paul Martin said, uh, sonically, it takes away from the, you know, the, 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 what the, uh, the original intention was, you know, because you have to play in 440 and that's the way, because you can't play those open right. tunings yeah. and, you know, have the ringing sensation. I went, y y these, they're two little elastic bands in my throat, dude. Yeah. Okay. And it's either, he may not be wrong completely, but at the same time, it's like, well, do you want to continue doing the, sh the gig or not? Cause it's what well, we did, you know, we did. And yeah. I, I lived in a lot of pain and I was in, uh, I was I, after a while, especially the first four years, I started to feel like I was just being used yeah. as the chimp with the fez hat. I yeah, say dance jokingly dance. without a doubt, without a doubt, 125 bucks a week. Yeah. We got 20 bucks a day on the road. Yeah. Uh, but so what? Yeah. You know, I was on the road with a, uh, an original band for a while and uh, I got we were in the middle of I don't remember you uh, Colorado or something. And uh, my road manager, I go to get my ten dollar a day per diem and he goes, yeah, uh, the manager said uh, I wasn't supposed to give you that anymore. I was like and he was a good friend of mine. I was like, look, Dave, you're giving me that ten dollars right now. What year was this? In? Uh, was early two, 20 years ago. Holy but anyway, crap. yeah, ten dollars a day yeah, twenty man. years ago. Same, same, same. Yeah, it was messed. It was weird. And the other thing was, we all smoked hash, right? right? So a lot of that per diem went to hash. So we really didn't eat that much. 
<laughs> we didn't eat. Yeah. And I never drank booze. I was never a boozer. But we always had on the rider booze. And I'd be like, hey, you guys are getting booze. I'm not getting anything. Right. Can we get some chips and some, you know, it was the classic, you know, spinal tap. You know, this meat doesn't fit the bread. <laughs> was, I can't do it. It doesn't work. You know, it was always rotten and yeah. it was shitty. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, how many times are you going to gnaw on a carrot? Uh, you know? in, in any artistry and performance wise, there's always somebody willing to capitalize on your addiction to it, too. You know, the performing. Yes. You know, and that's what sure. happens. They, they find they that know you're going to do it they one way or another. Do it and, yeah. you know, this kid's not going to say no to for 25 bucks less. Yep. A, a show. They'll or still a week show up. Or whatever. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. You know, Very they, much so. They know. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's culprits out there. I think one uh, person described music agents. Uh, they equated it to that Woody Allen line where he's talking about, I think, in Annie Hall, where he goes, politicians, they're a notch below child molester, you know, on the uh, chart of douchebags. <laughs> well, somebody once said, yeah, and music agents are a notch below that. <laughs> because yeah. they'll, and they're not, because the ones that we had were decent guys, like flash groups are great guys, and they were very fair. But there were some in Canada and some around that you would go, Holy crap, you guys are just pigs. Yeah. Just yeah. pigs. So you guys have really completely not just uh, I- imitated the Stones in, in their music and their look, but you kind of have encapsulated and incorporated like the, the lifestyle. You really lived the whole Stones kind of ethos, it sounds like. Very much so. What we wanted to do was, the idea was, you know how the Stones became successful and became... Um, an original band was they they didn't want to be an original band they just wanted to play blues covers and pick up chicks and have fun they wanted to be bring the blues back to england but specific blues like you know Howlin wolf, wolf yeah and and and, and elmore james muddy waters and, and uh, lead belly and all these yeah. kind of cats and that's what they wanted to do but because they played it and they were white kids they sounded weird but that weird sound became an art form in itself. Right. That became a category. We wanted to do the same thing. We wanted to play Stones and Blues and Chuck Berry and that. And then we thought, okay, and then they started playing some originals and writing some songs. So they had developed a sound and now they, man, and they got lucky. They had a great manager, Andrew Lugo, right. them, who, who, who worked that whole scruffy, you know, anti-Beatle thing. Yep. Timing is everything. Right. Blushing Bride's very similar. The Stones were not touring a lot. They had, you know, that whole period where they weren't speaking and, you know, they didn't do a lot of shit. 78 yeah. was right after messy I'm tattoo tour. you, right? Yeah. Messy yeah. was 78. And then they got back on the road. So there was that three year period 81 where they came back out but right. it was really kind of yeah, yeah. um so we capitalized <laughs> yeah it was not good it was like you know toxic rank yeah brought to you by joe van yeah. you know they had the big corporate <laughs> thing going on it was like just how awful is yeah. this it's like yeah. so bad that you know and the punk rockers got it right these guys are cunt sellouts you know yeah. they just fuck off that is that's when punk kind of became a thing because all these overblown pink floyd all these overblown exactly. stadium acts right. were like you and know. it became too much to bear because yeah. you were losing the soul of the music i really went my last u2 concert just i was like you know that's enough of that like i'd seen joshua tree back in hartford yeah. in the 80s yeah it was amazing Unreal. it blew the blew my head off you know are you talking about the last tour where they did the joshua tree album no okay i'm talking about the tour before that okay whatever that like, yeah it just whatever. the bottom line was it was like two songs and then a 20 minute video about some other country and then it was this and oh then my it was god the, it was like you know yeah. 
charge? How much more can I pay for this ticket to not have to hear all this bullshit? I, and, you know, I'm into it. I'm into gouge it. Take, on yeah. gouge take on my gouge. money and donate it. Yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm good. Yeah. You know, it's I'm, just I'm Bono, okay. shut up. Yeah, yeah. It was like you, you know, know, they were contemporaries of ours. Like you know, back in the day when they first came out, they played the same venues when they first came to Canada. They played Barrymore's in Ottawa. They played, and a lot of people would say, "Yeah, they're all right," but the singer's a bit of a schmuck. He's like arrogant, and he had this weird sort of. Really, sort of, uh, like, what do they mullety hair? Yeah, like, like you know, super back mullet, in the day, yeah. and yeah, they were just a little. But you know, you never know. Like right. we put out an album, they put out an album, they had a hit, Bloody Sunday, and all that crap, and we didn't. We had a minor hit. So what happened was, after we didn't get a hit record with our first, uh, you know, a release, we had a lot of internal squabbles, and we ended up breaking up. So we had a minor hit with a song called "What You Talking About" in Canada. Um, had some airplay in the States, not much. We sold like 47,000 records in Canada, which was 3,000 short of a gold record in Canada because it's 500,000 in the States and 50,000 in Canada. And we came up short. As it a, should be. Yeah, we had, yeah <laughs> right, 10 times less. Um, and a few less people probably. Yeah, exactly, yeah, 10 yeah. times less. So yeah. we have 33 million, you have three, three, oh, I, yeah, million. that's so what I was saying. That's yeah. how it kind of worked out. Math. Now, yeah, it's funny how that works out. Math. Yeah. It's for all of you, Matt. <laughs> two not, plus not. two equals, I don't know. Clearly not that important in Maurice's life, but yeah, it's, you know, it Well, I was pissed because I figured, you know, you can doctor numbers, man. Give us the goddamn gold right. album. You know, here's the way music industry used to work. It was really funny. I don't know if you guys know this, but when you put out a record like in the 70s and 80s, it, it's you, you got a gold record if you shipped gold right so. not if you sold right if you shipped gold or platinum in other words if you set 50,000 records out to different music stores you basically had a gold record that the oh. record company could use as a marketing device you basically they, could buy a gold record they actually would say it shipped gold it's a gold record. Even yeah. if it doesn't get sold, that's right, why you see right. them all in these, you know, sort of deleted bins and, you know, for a dollar and yep. four cents. Yeah. And um, so all of that was, it was about whose ass you kissed and whose ass you didn't kiss. So here's the story of, again, a story of Woe of the Brides and why we broke up. We had a meeting with RCA. When we got signed, we got signed by a guy named Andy Nagy. One of his claims to fame at RCA was he helped in signing Elvis, getting Elvis from Sun Records to RCA. That was one of his claims to fame. He was a much older man. He was like in his 70s when we uh, came across him. And he signed us. He, he and I became friends. And he thought, man, this kid is awesome. He's, he's my la his last act at RCA was to sign the Blushing Brides. And I thought, wow, this guy's great. And then he retired. And well, that was it. And then we got the lawyers on us from RCA. So that era changed of the guys who really cared about the music and were into, you know, the, and now you were a product. So we had a meeting at Hotel Montreal, downtown in Montreal. No, Hotel de la Montagne in Montreal, sorry. And we had a meeting with all these RCA types. And they said to us, okay, we've got your product lined up. The biggest band at the time was Loverboy from Canada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> but are they really? <laughs> I wanted to take a baseball bat to them and just beat them to a pulp. 
But and don't they, don't they, hit him with that spot where it makes the bat. Break. No, no, right. no. Yeah. I, I, I never, I never hit. I never I always had my bat. You know, the the the, uh, yeah. the logo yeah. inside. Yeah. So <laughs> they set us down and they go, okay. So here's the uh, what, how we're going to push this record. Here's what we're going to. They're going to they're going to package us. We're going to package us. Right. And they said, okay, so we're going to dress you. You're going to have a certain look, you know, with those stripes and some spandex, and we'll get that whole thing going. And they went around the whole room, and they said, okay, so everybody okay with this? This is how we're going to move forward with this? It was like this weird, surreal thing. And everybody else in the band, even Paul and James Green, who was a buddy of mine, uh, who I brought to the Brides from Montreal, they all went, yeah, it's fine. They were all, like, ready to go. We just want to be successful. And they got to me, and I just looked at them and went, fuck off. Fuck you. Are you nuts? What are you talking about? We're not this. That's not us. We're a dirty leather jacket wearing. And if you look at the bride's first record, unveiled, on the back, there's pictures and a promo picture. Everybody is dressed with the hay, with the thing and the stripe. And I got a T-shirt and a leather jacket, and I'm like this. Fuck you. So you stuck to your guns. You didn't go for the... I had beat up fucking yeah. pro keds on and a fucking leather jacket and the rest of them all like... <laughs> I'm making a funny face with a big smile like, you know, I'm Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Hi. One of on, these kids. kids is doing his own yeah. thing. Yeah. And that started the end of the original Brides. Yeah. So we released the first record. It did okay in Canada when we went. And then they put us on tour with... <sighs> Chilliwack. Chilliwack? I dare you, my American friends, to go look up Chilliwack. What's that? What is Chilliwack? Chilliwack is a band from Canada, from Chilliwack, British Columbia, who are lovely gentlemen, but completely the antithesis of the kind of music that we play. Their hit song was, Gone, 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 she's been gone so alone, she's been gone, gone, gone so alone, my girl. <laughs> And then they threw me out prior to that, going, Yeah, that doesn't Ripping my shirt off. and So it was awful. And the the tour basically failed horribly. And by the end of the tour, uh, we were in Vancouver, British Columbia. Beautiful, big stadium, Pacific Coliseum. I turned to Paul Martin. And they wouldn't let us play any stones. We can only play the original songs on our record, which I thought was insane. And I turned to Paul Martin and I said, play Brown Sugar. And I gave him the look. The look. I know the look. You know the look. Oh, yeah. I've seen the look. And he played Brown Sugar. And 15,000 people went nuts. Yeah. And we got our first encore. And we played Satisfaction. Nice. And they came into the dressing room, the Chilliwack people, after and said... They went nuts. They went at us like you wouldn't believe. And everybody just kept pointing at me. It was him. It's him. <laughs> but they, they, the chillouettes were not so chill. Yeah, not so chill. They were chill. not chill because we upstaged them. Yeah. We yeah. made them. How can you compete with that? Especially me and my forte, like, and my, and my heyday, and my. And my, all your teeth. And all my teeth. <laughs> not only that, I, you know, I was well fed at the time. We were on tour. They had delicious meals. Yeah, so the food got better. Sure. Yeah. I actually put on probably. Eight ounces. Yeah, yeah. So I felt good, and I was, you know, ready to go from that, and it all just fell apart. And by the time we got back, I told them, look, I can't do this unless I can be able to be free to do what I need to do. And they just went, no. And I said, okay, well, kick me off the tour. I don't want to be on it. And the rest of the band wanted to keep playing, and uh, Paul said if – you know, they don't allow us to keep going, then that means RCA just signed you and not the rest of the band. 
And I said, well, I don't give a shit. And if that's the case, that's too bad. Wow. And I left. Well, good for you, though. I mean, you know, it's you're not your soul could not have withstood no. that sort of, you no. know, path. It just wouldn't have not as you wouldn't have been not able as to look weak at yourself as in the I mirror. was uh, psychologically and spiritually and uh, and and physically. Yeah. I was just very weak, very vulnerable. And I just went, I can't do this anymore, yeah. guys. Well, you know the writing's on the wall when right out of the gate, they come along and they're telling you what to wear, what to play, what to do. Yeah, that's like, this is it. It's yeah. like basically they recognize your talent and they're like, these are talented people. Let's take them and like little, mold, you know, clay, let's mold them into what we think is going to sell and, and use your the, talent and take it was away. the height of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it yeah, was yeah. the, uh, what was the word? The clone, the clone band version of boy band now. Yeah. Yeah. The original, the beginning states of so here's you, a product. Yeah. And as long as we take these ingredients and do it exactly the way we want. The hair bands yeah. of, you know, the metals. There was the Bon Jovi's right. and other contemporary of ours. Rat. The same period. Yeah. Yeah. Rat. Mm -hmm. Cinderella. Gagadinga. Mm -hmm. Bumba right. Doomba. It's, dee -dee -dee -dee. it's you know? right like now taking... It's, right now it's K-pop is it, the big one. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's another thing. Look, uh, God, Maurice... You're amazing. Uh, we are getting <laughs> long-winded. We that's are all. getting speaking. Well, that's why I have to interrupt. So we are getting closer to the end here. Yes. So I'm going to fast forward if that's okay, and just yes. come back to Block Island now. Uh, oh right, Block that's Island. Right. That's what we came to talk We're, about in the first place. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. Well, no. We want to hear all about you. That's you know? what this was. But I, we do like to bookend it with a little Block Island, without stuff. a doubt. So. Um, Back here now on Block Island, yes. your tenure here at Captain Nix has been going on well over 20 years, right? Yeah, this is um, 22 years now. Yeah. Tell us, uh, in your opinion, how, what, what have, how have you seen the island change over the course of the 20 years? Do you want me to lie nope, or tell the nope, truth? You tell the, you say anything yeah. you want to say. I understand it's the nature of you know the capitalist society for everybody to profit as best they can on the, the wares that they have and the property that they have. Um, and everybody has that right to life, liberty, and uh, the pursuit of happiness. But the prices are scandalous as for rooms. It's insane. Yeah. I think that you're pricing yourselves out of the marketplace other than for elitists. And the people that are, if it was more reasonable, you'd have more people coming over, I think, that uh, appreciate it. I think there's, a, there's almost, a, what I've sensed is there's a little bit of a, and not for the locals. I'm talking about the people coming over and the people that I see around here. They've, there's a lot of, you know, Range Rovers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. It, to me, that's always been a bit smelly. You know, there's only so many lawyers you can have around before it really starts to stink. Well, and the, um, the thing we have here, my take. There's, no, there's no area to bulge to. So in other words, right. if one neighborhood bulges by a block or two with a certain level of income and whatnot the, the outer neighborhoods then pick up the slack and become more middle it's really tricky here with the real it's estates tricky. going nuts yeah. and, it's, and it's just the rooms are know. hard to get that's yeah. the thing and getting on here is a, a like i that is the oddest system i've ever seen oh the ferry reservations that thing well, and the cars yeah, you still have the, to call in there's right. no online so option it's like yet. you know calling yeah. you know and waiting on hold what is that lily tomlin oh what run ringy dingy too and you know it's busy 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 <laughs> and finally you wait like, hello anyway i don't know hold on let me see when do you want again Okay, you figure it's like, oh my god, yeah. I've been on here forever. Like you literally sit there. I sit there and I just go, redial, redial, 
Yeah. Rita. I will yeah. do that for four hours a day, basically, as my day's going on. I hear, and I just stop and I do that. I stop and do that. I stop and do that. And then I'll wander off and then I'll, oh, I better go back. Yeah. And finally, when you get through, it's that's a bit of it's like, a, a challenge. Yeah. Oh, and then they're like, sorry, we don't have any reservations left. Or for that day. Yeah, or you get the day, really keka the... time, you know? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, or especially for us, leaving early in the morning. I know. Like, you know, and we're up, you know, till yeah. two, three. Because when you finish a gig, you're wired. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah. You're not going to sleep for a couple all night hours. Jobs, yeah. You know, it's very it's just awful. Yeah. yeah. Restaurant industry, bar industry. Yeah, so all bartenders no, are all the same thing. That know. being said, the food's really good here now. I think yeah. it's really good. It's much improved. I think that uh, one thing I love about this place is the local constabulary is very pleasant. They're the, great. The police yeah. are some of the friendliest people that I've ever met. You can actually have a conversation with them in a civil and not feel that, you know, that kind of twinge when you're talking yeah. to a police officer, when you get that where he gives you a kind of stands up a little taller than you and puts his chest out and, you know, he's got the, the crew cut and you're like, it happened oh, to God. me this morning. Awful. No. <laughs> but here, constabulary, Con- just adding that to my list of 10 words. Constabulary, the local constabulary. After this interview, I got Yo, about 10 yeah. words after Rich, my, my boy Maurice, he's wicked smart. He's wicked smart. <laughs> Hey, Maurice. Um, I'm not that uh, smart, but I play one on television. We're so oh, glad and blessed that you're, you're A, talking to us today. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Are you kidding me? B. Jesus Christ, I'll just sit here all day. You guys go off and do your day, and I'll just... <laughs> just, just and I remember <laughs> back in... Now, I think this was 84. We were... People like, why is this guy still talking? Dude, they're going to love this episode. They're going to be... You'll I have, love Block Island. I love you all. And here's another thing. I'm just going to say before sure, we close sure, it down. Sure, sure, sure. The one thing that's really endearing to me is that when I'm walking around here, people are so polite. They come to see the band and they walk up to me and they say, hey, great show, man. Hey, great show. You guys are great. We come here every year to see you. You guys are great. I cannot tell you how much that means to us. And it means to me as a performer and a person that you're so polite and decent and nice. And I know sometimes I may appear standoffish. It's because unless I'm jabbering on and it's about the Mo show, as my girlfriend says, it's hard (laughs) for me to be, but I cannot tell you how much I love every one of you that comes up and, and at least takes the time to reinforce what we try to do. We try to play honest, nasty, sweaty, sexual rock and roll. And it seems like you like it because we've been doing it for 42 years, so I can't thank you enough. That's the number three question I probably get about Nick's when I was working here. Oh, you work on the door this summer? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then, when are the Blushing Brides coming? When are the Blushing it's Brides coming? Right when there. are the Blushing Brides coming? And, oh, and, and come we miss and... Stephen Wright because he used to come every year. I don't know where he is. Stephen, we love you. And if you're listening to this, please come back. I won't touch you. It'll just be elbows. <laughs> he'll, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll I be promise back. you, Stephen. Yeah. We yeah. love you so much, brother. Uh, I actually lectured him one day, and I think he got upset because I told him <laughs> he should be putting up more shit. And why is he not putting up more shit? And I want to see him more. And please put up more shit. And he kind of looked at me and went, Okay. <laughs> and he walked away. He's like, I'm still not coming to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maurice, you're an amazing human. Thank you again. Ah. Now, look, before we ah. before we cut you loose to to head off to the beach or whatever you're going to do today, yeah. we do this one thing with all of our guests we like to do. It's called the lightning round. Right. All right. We're just going to throw some stupid questions at you. Oh, and you're in first trouble. thing, Yeah, I know. I know. We probably. This could be better. You want to go first or me, Rich? You. I'll shoot. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Go. Are you politically correct? Absolutely not. Do you like the name Charlie for a girl? Why not? 
Would you rather be royalty a thousand years ago or just an average person today? Average person today. What is your favorite Rolling Stone song? Midnight Rambler when I perform it. <laughs> that would have question would have been what's your favorite blushing bride song, but right. <laughs> so Rolling Stone song. Would you, I've just abducted it. Would you rather always be ten minutes late or always twenty minutes early? Always twenty minutes early. Have you ever been to Africa? No. Polka dots or stripes? Actually, I'm going to hold on. Oh. Uh, uh, polka dots, but we're all Africans, <laughs> just so you know. We're all from the Rift Valley of Africa. We're all black. None of us are anything else but African, just so you know. I've never been there, but my mother was from Africa because the first woman was African. So remember that, all you racist cunts out there that want to talk <laughs> shit. Okay, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're not white, you're not yellow, oh. you're not red, you're fucking black. So get over it, fuck face. Okay, you got it? All from the Rift Valley of Africa. I'm sorry, where were we? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, listeners, more our guest Ooh. today, Maurice Raymond, my boss. Maurice, we love you. Thanks thanks, thanks for doing Maurice. this, man. And great. I'll see you on stage tonight, man. You will. All right, yeah, brother. Come Rich. see him. Tell people how they can uh, talk to us and stuff. Yeah, reach out to us. Follow us on Facebook. You can comment there. We love getting your emails, so email us at twoguysonbi at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to our podcast, whether it's uh, Apple or uh, Spotify or whatever. Just uh, click that subscribe button. Totally politically incorrect. There are no women on this show. Well, not right oh, now no. there aren't, but we've had women on. Two guys, unbelievable. Oh, oh, I see, right. You're right. Two guys. You well, believe I'm, this? Politically I'm, incorrect. Look at these two guys. It's Rich, awful. Rich dresses like a woman. I'm sometimes. looking at a procedure. You never know. Yeah, you my, never know. We could. I we have might a bra tweak. on we as might, we speak. <laughs> yes, we could tweak some. By the way, you, you can see it. It doesn't you, go you look in your great. head. You're still in great physical form. Not bad. All right. Anyway, subscribe. Tell your friends, listeners uh, about our podcast. And thank you all for listening. Really, we appreciate it. We really do. Thank you so all much. Right. We'll see you next week. All right. Hey, Rich. Uh-oh. Uh, I got that guitar. You want to try that Van no, Halen no, thing? No, 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 no. Well, I, Wait, I don't know. Well, how about <laughs> Eruption? Let's, maybe you could play Eruption. <laughs> that's, that's disgusting. What shall we do with the What shall we do with the